0: Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. I tell you, that moment every week is so cute. We had the women's ecumenical luncheon a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Trevor. Um, But we were asked, like, what's a moment of joy in your community? That's what I shared. And then we spoke the words of blessing over all of the women from neighborhood churches. It was really sweet. That was for free, everyone. (laughs) I'm up here, (laughs) Um, mostly because I have a staffing update. Um, If you have been maybe paying attention to announcements and things like that, you maybe know that we've been hiring for two positions, which I am inexplicably grateful for this. Um, So we have two people starting this week, our building manager and office manager. Praise the Lord. Um, Branion Pippinger is our building manager. He just started today. He's right there. Yeah. So you will see him and me kind of running around this morning, showing him the ropes. And then on Tuesday, Eric Lindstrom will be starting as our office manager, which I know. Oh, Eric's right there. Yeah. So you guys, we are getting things together around here, which I'm really excited about. Um, And then for current staff, I also wanted to give an update there. If you maybe didn't know this, but Sarah Spang has been kind of dual roles this year. So kids community part-time and then office things part-time, which is a horrible setup. Uh, we knew that, but it was kind of a stopgap. We are so excited to share that in almost 13 years of Awaken existing, we have never had a full-time kids community director, which is insane that we've made it this way and more a testament to like who has been in that role. Um, But she's going to be full-time kids, which is really great. And a lot of that is because of your generosity and us being able to kind of take some calculated risk around, like, what does it mean to be fully staffed? Um, And with that, I also want to share some bittersweet news um, that Melody, who's not behind me anymore, she's right there, uh, will be stepping down as our Director of Music and Arts Uh, through the summer. So Mel, if you maybe didn't know, she's been in school uh, getting her LPCC to become a therapist at St. Mary's, Um, joining the crew of therapists at Awaken here. Um, So she is living out a dream that's been inside of her for a long time now, um, which is such a thing to celebrate, and we're really excited for her and supporting that. And I'm also really sad (laughs) because you really do um, bring so much. So you will hear more probably about that from her. She'll be with us through August. So this is your invitation to really soak it in, give her love over the next three months. um, And also we're hiring again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with that, if you would pray with me. God, thank you, I think, for the ways that you create beginnings and endings, um, and how those things hold hands. Thank you for the ways that you have carried us with amazing people through all the years of Awaken, and the ways that you continue to bring new people to do the new things that you are inviting us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So with that, I'd love to invite you to take a minute, stand, and greet one another. All
1: right, friends. If you can make your way back to the places that you were seated, we are going to. I got a, I got a long ways to go. Uh, we got some. We got. We got some places to go this morning. So I'm. I'm excited to get cracking. Um, welcome to you all. Very exciting news around Awaken. We're super excited about our new folks. Of course, bittersweet. Um, Excited for Mel and sad for us. Um, But, you know, pass the word as as, as we'll be posting this job. uh, And so we wanted to make sure that, you know, you all knew that this was happening before you saw a job posting for it. Um, So, uh, my name is Micah. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Very glad you're with us. If you're new, um, we would love to know that you were here. So in the seat pockets in front of you or online, you can click a little button there. And let us know that you were here. And somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. Uh, if you have tithes or offerings this morning uh, for the church, we're so grateful for them. Uh, there's a number of ways you can give online as well, but those uh, those cards, if you fill them out, if you have tithes or offerings, there are black boxes at the exits. You can place those in there. Um, FYI, our annual meeting is coming up June the 4th after the second hour, so just put that in your calendars. Um, but a couple of other announcements we want to let you know about. Uh, the first of which is there's a garden work day happening next Saturday on the 20th. Um, we've We've got a crew that's ready to plant and uh, grow some things this summer. All of the proceeds and food that we grow in the garden will go to an organization called Walking with a Purpose, um, which serves unhoused neighbors here in St. Paul. Very excited about that new partnership this year. Um, Heather's right over here. She leads our garden team. Um, So if you're interested in that, uh, there's also work to be done all summer. So if you're interested in ongoing help and care of the garden, Heather is the person to talk to. You can email her. Email's on the screen there. There are uh, a number of life groups that are opening up. So if you're new around Awaken, you're looking to connect outside of Sunday morning, Kathy Solomon, our director of community life, has I think four or five brand new groups that are starting, which is big news, like very exciting. uh, And a number of other groups like actually in the works to start more by the fall. So uh, that is fantastic. You can connect with her or online for those. And then last but not least... Um, some of you have run the marathon or the 10 mile for in the Twin Cities in October uh, We have done teams in the past connected to world vision um, And we are excited about a, a new budding friendship and partnership with wildflower coffee Carly's right here in the front So um, some of you know new coffee shop here on West 7th just opened. super excited for that. It's going well and there is a, uh, a team from Wildfire, that is running the marathon in the 10K. So, if you're interested in running, you're gonna do that anyways, you could put your legs to better use by running for Wildfire. Um, so, you can contact Julia at wildfirecoffee.com for more information about that. Raise some money for a really, really great cause that we are all behind. All right? Um, that's all I have for announcements. So let's jump in this morning. We are in week three of a series called Iterations. We've been looking at God's people in the scriptures and the different iterations that we find in the scriptures. So my contention is that there is a group of people through whom God intends to show the world what it looks like to be in relationship with God. Um, that reflects the nature of God's heart and the, God's dreams and hopes and intentions for Creation, so this, this idea of God's people, um, if you want to throw it out, throw that on the screen, Gid, the conduit through which God's hopes, dreams, and intentions for creation are seen, known, lived, and offered. Right? This is my working definition for the series. Important. Um, and so no matter where you pick up the Bible, you will find an iteration of God's people. All right. And when we find those, there's always an invitation from God, there's always God's presence, and there's always work to do. So that's the work that we are. A part of and participating in as the Church of Jesus in 2023, one of the iterations of the most recent iteration of God's people. And so we've looked at Adam and Eve in the the garden, we looked at the call of Abram in week two, last week, actually this is week four, Uh, last week we looked at the call uh, of Jacob and him wrestling with God in Genesis 32, and this week we're skipping ahead to the next book of the Bible and the story of the Exodus, uh, the, the, the book of Exodus begins with all of the sons of Jacob who have made their way to Egypt and Joseph has died. Um, all of the sons of Jacob have made their way to Egypt and the beginning of the story of Exodus says that this generation passes and that there is a Pharaoh who arose to power who knew not Joseph. So there's a new king in town, there's a new leader, and that leader, if you know the story of the Exodus, begins to oppress and enslave the Israelites who are in Egypt. Um, there's an edict to, to kill all of the baby boys of the Israelites by the Pharaoh. This is the story of Moses and the birth of Moses. And then we get this passage in Exodus chapter 2, which will be our passage for study this morning. So I'd invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of God's word. It's a short one, so, but it's packed with some really important stuff. Verse 23 of Exodus chapter 2 says this, During that long period... The king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. Their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Pray with me. God, as we turn our attention to this passage and this important moment in the scriptures... It's my hope and prayer that you would do some work in us. For the ways we have uh, and we do participate in um, this reality, I pray that there would be a, a clear move of the Spirit for us today. In the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, I pray, God's people said together, amen, amen. You may be seated A little bit of background before we jump right in. Um, many Hebrew scholars who study the scriptures would believe, would argue, that the book of Genesis is the prologue to the Bible. While it is the first book in our Bible, the idea is that it's the, it's the sort of setup for what's about to happen. It's the introduction. And so in it we find like, the answers to questions of what is God like? What's the nature of the divine? Um, what's the nature of humanity and creation, the place that we find ourselves, this world that we live in? It's setting all of that up. It introduces us to the covenant relationship that God has with a group of people and these iterations that we've talked about. Adam and Eve, Abram, Noah, um, Jacob and his sons. And so Exodus then becomes really the beginning of the story, that it is the opening scene for what's about to unfold in the rest of Scripture, which is the redemptive and restorative work of God through humans. Um, Exodus is, it it shows us, it offers us a picture of God's heart for the humans who live in the world. 3,000 years ago, and I would argue God's heart for us today still. And in the very center of the beginning of the Bible, if if in fact this idea is, is workable, and I think it is, that Exodus is the beginning of the story... There are two words that will run from here all the way to the end, and we heard them in Christine's prayers of the people this morning. We heard them in the passage that we read, and those two words are freedom and liberation. Um, I want to warn you uh, about the next 20 to 25 minutes that you're about to experience, and we are going to be in the deep end of the pool, friends. Um, I don't know what you think normally happens here on Sundays at Awaken, but this, like, if. If you're going to need floaties for this, you want to find them now and attach them because we're going to be in the deep end treading water for a bit. Uh, because this passage, uh, it, it it is an enslaved group of people who cry out to God in their oppression. That cry finds its way to the ears and the eyes and the very heart of God. So this is a, this is a deep and profound, sometimes I would say difficult topic to engage in. But we're going to go there because that's... Where we find ourselves—that's the iteration of God's people we are in. So it, the text says that God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. Four words, profound words. God heard. My brother Jake and I—I uh, I have four brothers. My younger brother, by right next to me, Jake. Jacob uh, is a year younger in school, and so we went to the same high school together, St. Paul Central, and it was a wild experience. It was like 2,000-some kids. So in the passing times, in the hallways, there were just kids all everywhere, all the time, wall-to-wall people. And as youngsters, you know, neither of us were very large in stature. I was not 100 pounds by the time I entered high school. We had a little party when I got to 5 feet tall uh, at my house. Actually, not, not joking. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, I'm the tallest of my brothers now, you know. So, look, look, look at me now, world. But we had this, we had this whistle that we would offer to one another when we'd see the other in the hallway, right? I can't, my my mouth's a little dry, but I was like, and so, like, I would hear that, you know. And there was Jake all the way down at the end of the hallway. And when we'd see one another in the midst of this maze of humanity, there was just this, this signal that we would give, right? This moment of connection that we would, when you would hear your brother whistle, and vice versa. Um, God heard the cry of the people. God recognized their voice and heard them crying out. God remembered them. Just the other day, my friend Peter uh, called me. Pete is a fourth-generation covenant pastor, so his great-grandfather was a pastor in the covenant. He has since resigned his credentials in the covenant, but um, he pastors a covenant church in Chicago and he called me and he said hey Micah I just wanted to call you because i'm guessing that it, it may be pretty easy for you to To think that no one remembers you But I did today And I wanted you to know that And that moment when somebody remembers you like whew, God remembered God's heard and remembered and saw uh, this, this experience as a human when someone sees you for who you truly are, the, like the deepest parts of you. I shared a story a couple weeks ago about Alan, uh, this rabbi, who on the steps of Jeru- uh, the temple in Jerusalem put his head on my shoulder and whispered in my ear, Micah, I believe in you. Which was a, a moment where he saw me for who I was, and that moment is like, like emblazoned in my memory forever to be seen. And to be known, this word that's used in this passage is actually the word for, like, the intimate relationship that two humans might have with one another, you know, where someone knows something about you, you know what I mean? Like the thing that happened last weekend that was so sweet when you got away. Like, this is a really profound word that's used. This is what God does. God hears, sees, remembers, and knows this group of people. So how do we, as we begin this exploration of this iteration where an enslaved group of people cry out to God and God responds to them, I want to be honest about a particular question that comes up in, in my study, which is how do I enter this experience of a group of people that I really don't have lived experience resembling? When we find people or an experience in the scriptures that we don't necessarily have firsthand experience with or have resonance in, um, which happens all the time, I think it's an important moment for us to stop and say, like, how do we enter that? How, how might I enter this experience? How might I gain insight from a group of people who had an encounter with God that's maybe distant from or far from my experience? And, and, and I want to say that uh, it's an opportunity for us to look for and listen to others who have had that experience who have had first-hand knowledge or generational memory of an experience that's being talked about. And so that's what I want to do today. Um, I want to listen to the wisdom of those who have had an experience like this that we've read about. I want to turn our ears to those who have first-hand generational knowledge. Um, And so I'm going to be borrowing from uh, a number of people Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago our staff is reading a book called Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. It's written by Kelly Brown Douglas. And it's a book that I'm going to reference a number of times in our study because she talks about, as a black woman in America, her experience. Um, And I want to start with something that she offers that I think is a profound place to start when we enter this passage, and that is the freedom of God. Um... Why does God see, hear, remember, and know the cry of an enslaved and oppressed group of people? Douglas and, and, and a tradition of black faith that grew in our American history would argue that it's because God is free and they are not. Like, why uh, God and God's essence, Brown argues, is free and humans are created in the image of this God intended to be free. So why does God hear, see, remember, and know the cry of a group of people who are enslaved and oppressed? And she would say because God is free in God's essence and they are not free. Um, The group of people that was, and the faith that was born in this cauldron (laughs) uh, understand this reality and their faith stands in resistance and in opposition to both the past and present in some ways. Think about the spirituals of like the American black experience. Maybe you've heard some of them. I'll just quote a few. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom over me. And before I'd be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to the Lord to be free. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole big round world in his hands. Or... Slavery chain done broke at last, broke at last, broke at last. Slavery chain done broke at last, going to praise God till I die. How do you sing that when your actual lived experience in reality is different from that? Unless you have a deep faith and belief in the reality that God is free in God's essence and we are meant to be free. She writes this, she says, The spiritual's testimony concerning the freedom of God suggested at least two interrelated things. First, God was by nature free, therefore, complete in God's self and dependent on no other being or power for existence. There's a word called the aseity of God that describes this. Second, God's movement in human history reflected God's freedom. So the Bible opens. The the, the first notes, if the Bible begins in Exodus, which many argue it does, the story begins there, the first note is a note of liberation. That a God who is free in their essence hears the cry of a people that are not, and it resonates deep in the heart of God. It, it, It forces God to act, because God is free in their essence. And we are meant to be free in our essence, and when we're not... There's something incongruent that, that, tri- that captures, that engages the heart of the divine. That's an important moment to start with in the Bible. I- I'd love for you, uh, if you would, for just a moment to close your eyes. And I want to read this quote, uh, which she offers in this book, because I really want you to hear it and take it in. So whatever you need to do to like ready yourself for that. And she actually quotes another uh, scholar called Hopkins in the quote, so you know it's coming. But she writes this. To be created in the image of a God that is free means that the human person is meant to be free. That is, like God, free from all human constraints and constructs that prevent one from being fully who one is and that threaten one's very life. Hopkins reaches this same conclusion about the Imago Day. He says, An act of grace, as an act of grace, God creates through divine freedom women and men, by giving them the freedom and liberation inherent in God's own self. Because God was the spirit of total liberation and freedom for humanity, God imparted this in humanity. The image of God, therefore, is the spirit of liberation in all humanity. End quote. So why does God hear, see, remember, know A group of, an enslaved group of people's cry come up to... Because God is free and they are not. There's this phrase that we become what we worship. Have you ever heard this before? We become what we worship, meaning we're shaped by the thing that we ascribe worth to. If we worship something, it means we ascribe ultimate worth to it. We focus on it. We gaze upon it. We bask in its presence. And when we do that, we're shaped by the image of that God. You cannot worship a God who is free and deny the freedom of another human. And if by chance there is a history of a group of or groups of people who have denied the freedoms of other humans, it can be said they were not and cannot have been worshiping God. That's an idol. That's a false god. You cannot worship a God who is free in their essence and deny the freedom of another human. So for me, as we enter this passage, as we sort of think about what does it mean for this group of people, this iteration of God's people, who are enslaved and oppressed to lift up a cry and for God to hear that and engage God's self in liberating them. This puts us deep in the end of the pool, friends, I'll say, for me, this, uh, this, this invites me to do some, in, how would I, uh, to interrogate some things, to uh, probe some of the, well, the, the world that I have grown up in. And it requires me to engage in repentance in a lot of ways, which is to turn Right? If, there, if, if our history has a, a, a testimony of enslaved peoples, which it does, indigenous and African, then for me, I have to think or, or engage the question, of like, how is that possible? And how have we gotten here? And what was the God that was being offered? And was that consistent with the God of the scriptures? And that is a work that is, I would argue, um, oh gosh, how would I even say this? I think that for me and for people that look like me who live in 2023, this is Christian discipleship. That it is imperative that we engage it as the church of Jesus and a group of people who ascribe that this story is true and that this God is real, and if that's true and this God is real, then there are some inconsistencies. Do you see what I'm saying here? So... um, This leads us to a next question. If if this is true, right, that God and God's nature is free and we're created in the image of this God and we're meant to be free, then what do you need to be freed from? What do you need to be liberated from? Today, you and me, what do you need to be freed from? What do you need to be liberated from? And I want to spend the rest of our time on this question because I think we all have an answer to that question. And I think we have, as a church, have an answer to this question, right? As awaken, what do we need to be liberated from? What do we need to be freed from? Somebody just asked me this morning, like, let's assume we do get asked to leave the covenant. Will that be a freeing experience for you? And in some ways, it will be. It'll be sad. I'll grieve and cry for sure. But I can't answer that question for you. What do you need to be freed from? What do you need to be liberated from? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for myself. And so in the time that we have remaining, I want to offer a warning that I think is is applicable for all of us. And then I want to just share two things that I personally have sensed an invitation to be freed from and liberated from. And in an effort, uh, I want to model for you my experience in this, of answering this question. And maybe it will help you and your answering of the question. I don't know. Maybe it won't, but that's what I want to do in our time remaining. So the warning, which I think is applicable for all of us, is the following. Um, When we read a passage like this, warning, you are both Egypt and Pharaoh and the Israelites. Okay? We read the Bible, and it's hard to access. It's written 2,000 years ago. It's like Difficult to understand at times. And so in an effort to make it make sense, in an effort to, for it to resonate, in an effort to like grab some truth from it, we, we attempt to see ourselves in the story. So we read a passage like the prodigal son. We're like, oh, yeah, I've squandered something. I've wandered away from home. I've made mistakes. And then I've turned around, and God's grace has welcomed me back. Fattened calves are killed. Robes are put on my shoulders. Rings on my finger. A celebration, Right? It's it. So we put ourselves in the story, and we receive God's grace. We read a story like uh, the, the, the paralyzed man who was brought to Jesus by his friends. And maybe you've had some physical ailment that has, like, you've struggled with your whole life, and you can resonate with that, and you get that. Or maybe you have a friend that you would just desperately want to know Jesus, and so you ask, like, what would I do to bring my friend to Jesus? Fine, good. We read a story like this one, and, and, and oftentimes... I have found in my experience that I'm invited to uh, resonate with or see myself in in the the plight of the Israelite, right? In bondage, need to be liberated. You know, I'm stuck in my sin and I can't get out, and so I need God to liberate me from that. Or it's important for us to remember that, like, we're Pharaoh in this story, too. I'm Pharaoh. Um, The poet Audre Lorde says, The true focus of revolutionary change is never merely the oppressive situations we seek to escape, but that piece of the oppressor which is implanted deep within each of us. You are both dark and light. I am dark and light. I am Pharaoh. I am Egypt. I participate in these. I love the way Christine worded it in her prayer. The, the the asks that I make of people who may be under me that are undue that are uh, that are, uh, bring undue burden upon them that's this, and I do that, and I'm also in some ways, not very many, <laughs> as a white guy in America, uh, I I have things that I need to be liberated. So warning, like we're both of these things in the story. Let's not forget that. Okay, and it's important to to like as we read them. Engage that. In what ways am I Pharaoh? In what ways am I Egypt in this story? That's informative work. Two things I know I need to be free from. Again, I offer these as my experience. They may not be yours, but I hope that in modeling it, it might give you some access to your own process and journey. I need to be free from my definition of freedom. Here's an all play question. When I say the word freedom, how would you define it? Go ahead and shout out ways that you think the word freedom. How would you define freedom? Say it again. Autonomy.
0: Absence of coercion.
1: Absence of coercion. That was so wonderful. (laughs) Partners, you know, wax the other one. Say it. Thank you for participating. What else? Privilege. Choice. No consequence. Stars and stripes. stripes. Freedom. What is freedom? According According to the dictionary, freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That's freedom. So to be free is to have the power and the ability to do as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Then you're living as a free person. When someone limits your freedom, they infringe or block your ability to act, think, speak as you wish, as you want. I didn't grow up in a community that like flew flags in front of our house or was overly patriotic, but my grandpa served in World War II. My dad served in the military in in Vietnam. And when you take this definition of, of freedom, found in the dictionary, and then you fuse it with two other ideas, you get what I was told freedom was. So it's this and... Um, It's about my neighbor. I'm free to do, speak, or think what I want without hindrance or restraint so long as my action, speech, or thoughts don't infringe on the ability of someone else to do the same. It's actually quite thoughtful. It's a progressive thought. I'm for it. It's a good, good thing, right? I get to do what I want as long as my right to do that doesn't infringe on yours, okay? The second thing you connect it to is the definition of the self. So, Our particular version of this in the West, where we live, is like the autonomous, somebody even said it, the autonomous individual, the autonomous independent individual. Throw a little Descartes in there. I think, therefore, I am the rational, reasoning, thinking autonomous individual with the right to pursue liberty, happiness, as I define it, as long as it doesn't infringe on you. That's the definition of freedom that I've been given that I grew up with, that my school, my culture, my church, my community enforced, reinforced. And I have come to believe that I need to be liberated from that definition of freedom because that definition of freedom is antithetical to the definition of freedom or what it means to be human in the scriptures. The Bible, this book, offers another definition of what it means to be free, what it means to be truly human that is not necessarily consistent with the things I've just said. And not only, not only the Bible, but science is actually telling us that this is true. A couple of examples. Um, we are built for and meant for connection. Interdependence, not autonomy. Studies have been done on babies. When they don't get connection and touch, they actually become less human. They become like animals, like feral. So when we, are, when we have less uh, interdependence, And connection, we don't become better versions of ourselves, we become less human. Autonomy is actually not good for me. If taken to its end, it will kill me. Maybe you've heard this phrase, Ubuntu, it's an African proverb uh, I am because we are. It's like a flip of I think, therefore I am. It's the opposite. It's to say that myself, like who I am as a human, is actually most fully realized in community, not in individuality. I just listened to an On Being interview where this guy, James Bridle, was being interviewed. And he says, like, on a cellular level, uh, there's symbiosis. You know what this is, right? Like two things that work together in a symbiotic relationship. There's an idea called endosymbiosis, which is when those things become one thing, individual things working together that actually become one thing. He says, it's it's hard scientifically to even talk about this as an individual thing, because I carry around over two and a half kilograms of other creatures in my gut, on my skin, so there are Hundreds of individual creatures that exist in you as a self. So you can't even say that you as a self are alone. You're a community of things that makes up you. Isn't that wild? It's just bonkers. You're like a whole bunch of things walking around. That, that's what we call a self. I'm not free until the person on the fringes is free. Uh, Vivek Murthy, he's our Surgeon General of the United States, the only one who's served twice. He said this, he said, a solution to someone's problem, even if it's not my my problem, is a solution we all need. I'll say that again. A solution to someone's problem, even if it's not my problem, is a solution we all need. Why did the prophets say, care for the widow, the alien, and the orphan? Because they understand that our essence, our our thriving, our freedom, our experience of life as a human fully, is most fully realized when we're in community, not when we're by ourselves. So I personally need to be free and liberated from my definition of freedom that I've been given, because it's antithetical to the scriptures and to what science is telling me is true. It might work as a political idea, but it's not the story of the Bible about what does it mean to be human. The last thing I will say is the following. How much time do I have? I need to be free from whiteness and Christian nationalism. You can clap. <laughs> I saw someone in the back go like this, like <laughs> Can I do that here? <laughs> yes. As a pastor who and a person who represents this institution in the world, I'm going to go on record and say that I need to be liberated from and freed from whiteness and Christian nationalism. Douglas talks about this in her book, again, and she talks about Anglo-Saxon exceptionalism. There was a a Roman guy named Tacitus who wrote a book called Germania, or Germania, however you pronounce it, in 98 CE. Some people say it's the most dangerous book ever written by a human. And in it, he talks about this tribe of people that they saw who was able to, like, repel back the Roman uh, desire to to make the empire bigger. And this group of people, they talked about how they instinctively loved freedom. He called it a distinct, unmixed race, like none but themselves. How they deliberated as a community and how the final, like, uh, answer or decision was given to the people. A perfect government, he called it. Common law, trial by jury, and individual liberties. You guys, this is the basis for the American Western liberal democratic experience, right? Jefferson talks about this. John, like our the people who started our country talk about their love of the Anglo-Saxon ideals. That gets translated into, and I'm like, this is a master's level course we're doing in ten, five minutes. But that, gets in, that morphs into what we now know as the construct of whiteness. That this ideal becomes the measure or the norm by which everything else is measured. And my problem with it is multifaceted. But one of them is that that gets fused with Christianity and they become one thing. Listen to what Jefferson actually said. This is John Adams. He says, Mr. Jefferson proposed the children of Israel in the wilderness, led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, on the one side, this is like proposing for a seal for the new American idea, the new project. So, this is the seal. On the one hand, you got Israel in the wilderness, led by the cloud of fire, pillar pillar of cloud, fire by night, and on the other side, Hengist and Horsa, the Saxon chiefs, from whom we claim the honor of being descended and whose political principles and form of government we have assumed. So, whiteness, Anglo-Saxon exceptionalism, that there's a group of people that is, that is actually better than, more uh, um, advanced than others, that they become the ideal, and that gets fused with Christianity. And for me, as a person who's like, what do I need to be liberated from? That is from the pit of hell. If Satan is real, he's on. He's given us this one. And I personally have found myself very much convicted that this is this is my work as a pastor, as a white guy in America, in in our country. Uh, there's an indigenous writer named Mark Charles, and I don't know if he coined this, but he talks about it in a book. He says, we can't be healed if we don't have a common memory. Do we want to be the people of God? And do we want that people of God to include everybody? All the people? You can answer that, church. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And if we're going to be healed, if I'm going to be healed, we have to have a common memory of our past. Because when we're telling different stories about our past, you can't heal because we're talking about two different things. And so, for me, it's been a uh, a lightning bolt of conviction in my own life of, like, I'm a pastor of a group of people who are mostly white, and if the studies are true, there's a guy named Michael Emerson who has a study coming out uh, that, like white practicing Christians are misinformed about the gospel and what's in this book and and who Jesus is and the heart of God. And so my job as a pastor of you all, I've taken, like, uh, I've sensed a real rooting in this spot of, like, part of my job. And I feel convicted of it, of like, what do I need to be freed from? What do I need to be liberated from? It's this. When Christianity gets fused with this idea, and that's just, that is satanic. It's antichrist. It is, and it's, and it's harmed so many people and so many lives. And that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. So I'll close with this. We're looking at this iteration of God's people that find themselves enslaved and oppressed and in need of liberation and freedom. We looked at Kelly Brown Douglas's work, a black African-American who testifies to these this group of people who declared a faith in God that wasn't consistent with their reality because of their deep belief that God is free in God's essence and that humans are meant to be free, which doesn't mean autonomous selves, but actually connected to one another in community, that we would be a family, a human family of God in the world. And I personally have sensed a, uh, uh, an invitation to be freed from this definition of freedom that I've been given, which isn't actually free, And to this idea of whiteness and Christian nationalism. I don't know what you are being invited to be freed from or liberated from. I can't answer that question for you today. But I want to give you some time in the moments that we have left to consider that. What do you feel you need to be freed from? As a woman, I don't know. It's probably not what I feel. (laughs) It's probably different. As a person of color, probably different. So... I'm offering my journey to you as a a model to let you in on my process, not to prescribe or describe what yours should be. But this word of a group of people who are in bondage, who cry out to God, and God's first move is action, engagement, is part of the essence and nature of God. So what does it mean to say yes to that, to say free me? liberate me from the things that I need to be freed from. I want to invite you to consider that, so pray with me. God, this morning, I want to stop talking for a moment and allow your spirit to work and move. And so, for my friends in the room, as we gather this morning, as your church, those who declare the name of Jesus, and attempt to follow that way, Do your work, I pray. Turn on the lights where there has been darkness. Where things that are untrue have have lived and and profited. Been able to go unchallenged. Turn on the lights and challenge them in our lives, I pray. As we close this morning, um, we normally would invite you to Eucharist. uh, And I was just told that Whoever was preparing communion this morning, maybe they overslept, maybe they're at their cabin, we don't know. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. But we're going to sing together, because one of the things that singing does is it makes us one. A whole bunch of individuals become one when we join our voices together. And so I want to invite you as the church this morning um, as much as you can to lift your voice to raise these songs as declarations of things that we want to be true, that we believe are true. Um, And as we sing them, I hope that they I think they fit where where we've been and and where we want to go. So I invite you to stand in body or in spirit uh, and let's sing these songs together. To the church gathered in St Paul May the work of our hands be established by God's presence. Yeah? May the things that we put our hearts and our souls and our very lives into may they be accompanied by partnered with the resurrection power of God. And may they bring the good news, gospel, life Anywhere and everywhere you go. So whatever your work is, whatever your invitation, whatever your liberating and freedom work needs to be, I trust that the Spirit has made that known to you this morning. And may we be humble in our declaration of need for God's presence in our life. Say yes to that and be empowered by that as you go into the world. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, Amen. Grace and peace, go and serve the Lord. See you next week. Find us online. At www.awakencommunity.com. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com Backslash Community Or on Twitter at awaken Community See you next time.